0: Welcome back. I'm Pierre Daly, Managing Editor at AdvisorAnalyst.com, and this is Insight is Capital. We're thrilled today to have with us a luminary in the world of investment management, Terry Demock, Chief Risk and Execution Officer at National Bank Investments. In his pivotal role at National Bank Investments, Terry oversees asset allocation and portfolio manager selection for a diverse suite of investment products, including mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, and manage solutions. Before his tenure at National Bank Investments, Terry made significant contributions at the Caisse de Dépôt et Placement du Québec as the Portfolio Manager and Head of Investments for sectors encompassing technology, health, and consumption. And tracing back to the start of his illustrious career, he was a Portfolio Manager at Standard Life. Terry is a proud alumnus of McGill University with a BA in Commerce and an MBA. He's been a distinguished CFA charter holder since 1998. Today, Terry's sharing his views on risk management in volatile markets, the emergence of new asset classes, responsible investing, due diligence and accountability, and the future of portfolio management. This is the Insight is Capital podcast. The views and opinions
1: expressed in this broadcast are those of the individual guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of advisoranalyst.com
0: or of our guests. This broadcast is meant to be for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed in this broadcast is intended to be considered as advice. Terry, welcome. And thank you so much for honoring us with coming on the show today.
1: Uh, thank you very much, uh, Pierre. Really happy to be here to have the chat on, uh, topics I'm really passionate about. Uh, you know, hearing my history, uh, uh, you know, I can't, uh, uh enough how, uh, it really it's a team of faith when you do investing. And uh, I've been lucky enough over my career to be surrounded by really brilliant people. And uh, usually that's how, you know, uh, it starts
0: in investing is having the right people. Absolutely. Um, Terry, uh, having said that, before we get started, tell us about the arc of your career. I know I know I went over it um, in brief, but tell us about the arc of your career, how you evolved in the business and what you're working on these days at National Bank Investments.
1: Well, uh, I started off as a you know uh, investment analyst in equities, uh, really looking at fundamental analysis: how you look at a stock, how you value a stock, uh, and if it's a good investment or not. And uh, Standard Life was a really good school. Really, uh, what they thought uh, they they brought to me was uh, process, and that's something that stuck with me uh, across my career. Uh, you don't define; you can't predict the outcome. Uh, what you control is a process, how you do things. And if you do it in a disciplined manner using uh, approaches that have been shown to work, usually the outcome over time is quite positive. And I've seen that uh, at Standard Life. I've seen that at the Cave de Depot. And in my career here with my colleagues, we've tried to implement really solid processes. What I'm working today is one, ensuring that our process is uh, intact and uh, that we're continuously looking to improve it, not change it a good process usually uh, you don't change or hold your own uh, hall overnight or, or on a constant basis, but you do look to uh, you know add to it. Uh, I'm also looking at uh, how new technologies like uh, AI and other approaches to looking at data will influence what we're doing will complement what we're doing and that's an area that that I think is going to bring profound change in the next few uh, years and decades
0: yeah i i you know you can't stress enough how important process is um it really helps to eliminate uh the behavioral obstacles that that occur uh you know you follow the rules and and uh you eliminate that you know all the biases that that we're you know we're prone to as human beings um in your uh in your work at national bank investments You have created something called Open Architecture, the Open Architecture Framework, OP4+, um, which helps in managing risks, especially when markets are experiencing increased spikes in volatility. Can you, can you talk about that? Well, in 2012, National Bank made
1: a pretty bold move, a bold decision by deciding to sell its asset manager. And that was pretty unique. Uh, We had good portfolio managers. Uh, It was a good team, but we felt for us to be able to serve our clients, uh, give them the best portfolio managers in the world, we had to operate in an open architecture. And that means uh, not having your own portfolio managers, but going out in the world and finding the best people, the best teams to really manage every single asset class. And then we bring those PMs together in our solutions, fund of funds, uh, uh, with the work of our CIO, Martin Five, and my colleague on the product team, uh, Joe uh the three of us, supported by a- an extraordinary team, build solutions using these best managers in the world. And OP4 Plus for us was really an approach to define what are we looking for in a portfolio manager? So it's an acronym OP4 Plus. You know, the O is for organization, We're really looking to partner with the best firms in the world that have all of the infrastructure, all of the surrounding team to support the portfolio managers, you know, around risk, compliance, trading. We want to make sure that it's a solid firm on a solid footing that will be around for decades to come. And then there's a series of P's. There are four P's. Starts with people. Uh, We want to be... uh, partnering with teams of portfolio managers and analysts that really uh, have a, you know, a very long history together, low turnover or no turnover, uh, are diversified in thought. Uh, so not having PMs and in teams that are all from the same school, all from the same geography, but really, you know, a diverse group of individuals that will bring, uh, foster better discussions, better challenging and make better investment decisions. The second P is really process. And we talked about process earlier together uh, uh, in the conversation, uh, we're looking for a very clear investment process in every single asset class. How have they created value in the past? What's the approach? Whether they get dead rails, how they implement it? How do they make sure that they remain true to that uh, process? And that's something that we spend a lot of time of, uh, on and something we'll discuss later on how we actually follow up. But that is the key, you know, the people and the process. And uh, that's what, you know, we're re- really looking for. So the first three pillars in the Open 4 Plus are really what we're spending a lot of time when we actually bring in a PM or analyze a PM, organization, people, and process. Then and uh, you start looking at areas on how we actually monitor them, look at them. Uh, portfolio for us is uh, the next P is we actually have the positions of every single portfolio on a daily basis. And there we're trying to look at, are they buying securities that are consistent with the basis? Uh, are they, uh, you know, are they trading uh, in an abnormal type of uh, uh, frequency? Are they, you know, uh, are they taking risks that they don't normally take in the portfolio? And that for us is, will be a testament that the process is actually being followed. Uh, so usually that's one of the areas where we, you, we can see glitches in the processes when we start buying securities that really don't fit the process that, you know, we've come to know in that particular PM. Uh, then there's performance and, you know, we don't buy performance. Performance is a result of having, you know, the right process, the right approach. But we analyze performance. Is it consistent with the style of the PM, where we are in the market, and the economy? uh, And is it delivering the results that we're expecting? Every PM will underperform for short periods of time, and usually that's tied with their process. But if they're underperforming because they're actually not doing good security selection, they're not being or they're buying securities that don't fit their approach or their process, then that's where we start questioning We start digging into it and see if we're still confident that this team, uh, these group of individuals can still deliver performance for our clients. And then the last uh, one in the uh, acronym is the PLUS, which we added in uh, 2018 is ESG integration. Uh, You know, we added ESG integration because we believe in it. We think it's an area that uh, portfolio managers and analysts have to dig into to really find opportunities and also find risks that may have, you know, each individual company or security may have because of a changing environment or social policies or just bad governance. So it's for us, it adds to the traditional financial analysis that, you know, I started with in my career at Standard Life, uh, having done the CFA program, but ESG has been complementing that approach.
0: And I think it leads to better outcomes for our clients. I think it's really an under-recognized, you know, I, I going back in, you know, in my own career, it seems to me like, like the portfolio manager selection process was always important, but it's different when, when you at your expertise level and your level of management are able to, uh, actually make the, the correct types of, you know, or, or effective types of evaluations of your portfolio manager selection, like the capital allocator selection is, is, is actually an underrecognized risk. And, you know, it, it, so thank you, thank you for elaborating on, on the, uh, you know, the design of OP4 plus and, and what it actually means to advisors. I think when you can take the responsibility of, uh, manager selection out of the picture for the advisor. That manager selection risk, you know, reducing that manager selection risk for the advisor is very beneficial. And it's, it's, it's hard to quantify. I'm, I'm sure at your end, you can quantify it. But for the advisor and for the end client, uh, for the end investor, it's extremely hard to make an evaluation without the level of data and information that you have at your disposal and it's also under recognized terry that that you and your team are doing this all day long advisors on the other hand have many other responsibilities to their practice to their clients the and investor their clients also have their own priorities each day it's not their job and and uh, i think that's an under recognized quality of what you know of your work at national bank investments which is to to stay on top of these developments within the, uh, the stable of portfolio managers that you oversee. Terry, how does the ongoing due diligence and accountability features of OP4 Plus provide an edge in adjusting a portfolio based on a macro view?
1: I find it, it's, you know, kind of related to selecting stocks. You know, when you analyze a stock, you're looking for a good company with a good product that can have consistent, you know, sales growth, yeah. margins and have a, you know, pristine balance sheet. Uh, grow over time. And I think, you know, when you look at it, there are two main reasons why we would, you know, change a portfolio manager. And one would be just no longer meeting our OP4 plus criteria. And, and that, you know, we we spend a lot of time on. And, uh, you know, we every time there's a, a breach of one of the pillars, we do a new OP4 plus report. Uh, but, you know, you're talking about macro view and with our CIO office, uh, Martin Lefebvre and his team, they build long-term market expectations. Every year we review what are the expectations for the next five years, uh, the volatility that is expected in every single asset class, and what are the, the different portfolios, different asset classes we want to put together to build a diversified solution, uh, You know, like a 60-40 portfolio, depending on the risk profile of the client, uh, so that work is really done, you know, uh, a lot of teamwork with the CIO office to make sure that uh, what they're identifying as asset classes and uh, what they want in the portfolio, we have the right portfolio managers to answer that, uh, those needs, those requirements. So it may happen that in a year, you know, certain asset classes would be underrepresented in a geography or in a style. And then that could lead to selecting another new uh, asset manager or a portfolio manager, and then that would lead to a new search using the OP4 plus criteria. So again, being in an open architecture, that gives us a lot of uh, flexibility uh, to add an asset class or to add a portfolio manager, which to diversify away from a style, let's say we all have quality growth type managers and we want a value manager. Well, we can go out, do our search, and add a portfolio manager into our uh, list of PMs that we put uh, to build the solution. So uh, I think for us, you know, the the OP4 Plus approach and the open architecture really is uh, gives us all the flexibility in the world to continuously
0: build the best, you know, diversified portfolios for our clients. With the advent of new asset classes like alternatives, uh, liquid alts, private credit, uh, private equity assets, uh, CTAs and cryptocurrency. How does the OP4 plus model adapt or integrate these into portfolio management?
1: You know, OP4 plus is an approach. So it's very flexible on looking at different asset classes and, you know, our whole, uh, portfolio management team that builds our solutions. As I mentioned earlier, the CIO office, our team, that manages selection OP4 plus and our products team. Uh, we meet together, uh, you know, on a regular basis to look at, you know, do we have the right portfolios, portfolio managers, asset classes, the work I spoke about earlier on long-term market expectations. So over the past few years, that brought us to add new asset classes for clients that could tolerate less liquid assets in their portfolio. Usually these are more high net worth individuals uh, that can have part of their portfolio in a less liquid asset. Uh, don't need uh, those assets uh, in the short term because private equity, private real asset, uh, private credit usually have uh, lockup periods that are much longer five to 10 years. Uh, so you need a, a client with a portfolio that can tolerate that type of liquidity risk or uh, reduce liquidity. Uh, but then, you know, working again uh, through our process, and this time on privates, we've partnered with our pension fund team the pension fund of national bank uh, because they had expertise in private investments and, and were you know looking always looking to you know who are the best people to recommend uh, different types of portfolio managers and we felt that they had a long track record of you know 10 plus years uh, of looking at these more complex type of vehicle uh, you know that are a lot less liquid and once you invest you're invested for as i said 5 to 10 years so the work that goes into it, understanding it, making sure that uh, we're with the right portfolio manager, we're paying the right fees, which is very uh, expensive to invest in, in these uh, type of private vehicles. But they use uh, the same approach, uh, you know, very similar to p 4 Plus, looking at all the characteristics, making sure that they're selecting the right portfolio managers, uh, the right vehicles, the right structures that will fit uh, in that part of the less liquid. uh Sleeve of our portfolio for our high net worth uh, clients, um, and you know, in portfolio construction, it is you know part of a, a sleeve that is less liquid, as I said. But uh, we want to make sure it adds uh, diversification. Uh, you know, the you can't you know adding an asset class in a less liquid area doesn't mean you're improving diversification. So, our portfolio construction committee goes through the analysis of every single fund and asset class we want to add to make sure that uh, it is bringing the characteristics we're looking
0: for in a diversified portfolio. Interesting. Terry, can you elaborate on, on how the cycle of monitoring the organization, people and process assists in, in safely navigating these new investment avenues? Absolutely. And that, you know, spent a lot of time in the beginning, selecting
1: a new portfolio manager, but the real work happens when they're actually managing the money. Uh, we're trusting them with really large mandates of our clients' uh, investments. So we want to make sure that we're verifying, uh, monitoring uh, along the way on a very consistent basis. So uh, we have, you know, a, a very uh, thorough uh, due diligence process uh, that we really look at on a monthly, quarterly and, and yearly basis. So on a monthly basis, even if I said performance is not important, we look at performance to understand are they outperforming or underperforming for the right reasons, or are they taking uh, you know risk that is uh, abnormal, or owning securities that are uh, doesn't don't fit the process. You know, significant outperformance while good, can be uh, uh, an example of taking too much risk, which uh, you know could lead to underperformance later on. So, uh, we really look at for abnormalities. Inconsistencies in the process, and we we do every single portfolio every month we go through the list, and if we need to follow up with the PM, uh, we'll have a call, uh, or if it's uh, serious enough, we'll we'll have an on-site visit. On a quarterly basis, we really do the uh, complete performance attribution, uh, and we have a call with every single portfolio manager uh, that we have on our roster. Uh, to really go through, you know, their explanation of their performance and to confirm that, you know, all of the pillars of the OP4 Plus process are still in time. Um, so that work is something that, you know, every uh, two weeks uh, at the beginning of a new quarter, uh the team is on calls with a lot of different uh, PMs across the world to make sure that we're still comfortable or are there areas of research or follow-up that we need to do to make sure that, they're uh, fulfilling the mandate that we gave to them. And then there are, you know, yearly on-site visits, uh, yes, in the world of you know, virtual and, and teas uh, meetings, we've learned to do it by video, but, uh, sitting in front of someone face to face, going through uh, what they're doing, uh, asking them questions, even sharing a meal, uh, you want to really understand how they're thinking, how they're, uh, uh, how disciplined they really are, what they're really doing. It gives you insight if, uh, you know, you feel you can trust them that the answers they're giving you are are the, are accurate or are they spinning a little bit or, or adding a little bit of a marketing explanation to something that, you know, needs a little more uh, detailed and accurate information. So a lot of work on that. And my team is really focused on that. Every time we... We see something that is abnormal. You know, if a pillar is broken, we have to do a new OP4 plus report. And the OP4 plus report is updated every single year and is presented to a committee. And so they can question us. They can, you know, challenge us on, well, I'm hearing this on this uh, different, uh, this PM. Uh, Have you looked at this? What are the concerns? I find this performance is abnormal. Can you explain it to me? Why is it, you know, why are they underperforming in this particular quarter when I, I expected that they would would be outperforming? All that work uh, is, you know, making sure that we're held accountable in doing the work, the diligence
0: and and making sure that we're uh, delivering for our clients. It's checks and balances. I mean, it's very, very interesting. I mean, like your point was very interesting. I think ordinarily, you know, uh, an investor would see a spike in performance on their, you know, holdings and say, oh, this is, this is wonderful. But uh, as you said, it, it points out that abnormality highlights a departure potentially from a strategy. And that could be, you know, it's a red flag potentially just because, you know, someone is, is winning in the market. Doesn't mean, you know, they're doing it responsibly uh i think that's a, that's that's something that could easily be underestimated you know somebody you know a manager could have a great run for for a year and then and then the following year you discover that they were completely overexposed to to uh you know a particular sector or stock or holding that that you know makes you scratch your head and say you know how can we you know how how could we have missed this acting on behalf of everyday investors and advisors uh, in that regard is extremely beneficial. You mentioned ESG. Could you talk about the added value of integrating ESG criteria into portfolio management? How does OP4 plus facilitate this? So, you know, for the beginning part doing this thesis, it was OP4. And,
1: and we decided to add the plus in 2018, uh, because we, you know, we continue to challenge ourselves to. Are we doing everything that we can to uh, select the best managers? And we felt that integrating ESG is, in addition to good financial analysis, traditional investing, and that's why we added it because we felt it would improve risk-adjusted returns. We didn't do it because we felt, you know, it was value-based or, or, but we felt it could improve uh, our investment decisions. And on top of it, uh, it can be good for the planet. I'll give you an example of a company that was in the S and P five hundred in uh, twenty eighteen Pacific Gas and Electric PG&E company that you know well regarded uh, to be in the S and P five hundred. You have to be one of the biggest companies in the world. They manage the electric grid in California, and some of the good portfolio management teams that had ESG start noticing lack of governance and governance how they manage their grid and how they cut down trees and uh, the lack of investment in that area to instead feeling there may be an environmental risk. You know, when you identify a risk, you want to make sure that, you know, you're talking to the management team of the particular company you're investing in and making sure that they're looking at addressing those risks. Well, what happened? We had forest fires in 2019. Significant lawsuits where PG&E was held accountable for bad management of the, their electric grid, and they had to, you know, file for a Chapter Eleven bankruptcy. Uh, they restructured. They were held liable because, and uh, analysts and PMs who had ESG criteria, um, you know, they identified it as a risk. and They never could predict there would be a big fire, but they reduced or eliminated that position because they felt. The risk is too high, and their environmental management is bad, and they're not—they don't have the right governance to manage this. And, and it's an example, uh, and I think this added layer of analysis is just logical. You know, if people aren't doing this, why are you know are they uh, not seeing certain risks that could be bad for the the asset they're investing in, and, and could it you know detract from value or, or lead to a negative outcome, and that's why we added it and we do a lot of work on understanding that pillar as well, uh, uh, how they're investing in it, and are they really serious about it? Uh, because, you know, you've heard the term greenwashing. Uh, the last thing we want to do is say that we have an invest, you know, a PM that uh, integrates this and then verify afterwards that they're not really doing it. They're not, they're getting an ICSG report from one of their teams, but they're not integrating it in their decision-making process. Uh, So for us, it's as important as all the other fillers. Uh, It adds value, reduces risk, and that's why we added it. And that's why we feel we're, you know, we continue uh, looking at this and looking for firms that are the best at this on top of being good financial uh, analysts or investors.
0: There's a lot of skepticism and, you know, surrounding ESG, but I think if you actually strip out the political and the idealistic view on ESG, there remains a a logic to ESG and there remains an opportunity in ESG, which stems from the political process, such as the Inflation Reduction Act. But identifying companies that are either very, you know, that are governing themselves responsibly and taking measures and updating infrastructure and making sure that they're on the right side of, of safety concerns, environmental concerns, as well as the S and the G parts. There's an opportunity in, in risk management on that, on, on the side of the, on the, the logical side of ESG. And then when you look at something like the Inflation Reduction Act, where there's, you know, potentially trillions of dollars flowing into this movement and, and this movement to, to, um, you know, energy transition, for example, um, there are also some, some incredible investment opportunities, uh, for as long as that lasts. And so I think, I think when, when, you know, when people get caught up in the arguments and the, 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 you know, the politicized part and the idealized part of ESG, you get a lot of polarization, but, but when you actually strip that away and you look at the logic of it and the opportunity of it. There are some some significant uh, and very important tailwinds to to ESG.
1: Well, you know, we don't believe that we should exclude energy uh, completely. Like, there's going to be a transition, and, and uh, you know, we all use energy today, and some of us have started buying electric vehicles, but you know, we're still very dependent on fossil fuels. Uh, but what we believe is. We want to be investing in companies that are doing the right thing to transition, evolve. Make sure that all their employees will have a job in, uh, you know, renewable energy later down the line and not be stuck with stranded assets that will not be useful anymore. And I think it's just good practice to look at your business, if you're an energy producer and say, well, what's going to happen in five years, 10 years, 15 years, and am I doing taking the right steps to ensure the viability, the sustainability of my business. And I think the politicians, some of them have made it very personal, you know, trying to scare people and thinking we're trying to take away their jobs, which is actually the opposite. We're trying to make sure companies are doing the right thing to keep those jobs, improve those jobs, uh, and make sure that, you know, the skills that people had in uh, exploration and production can be transferred to Great renewable energy and the future. And you know, I think, unfortunately, you know, some of the politicians have made it personal, but I think from a logical point of view and investment point of view, it's the best outcome for everyone to look at transition and to make sure that hold the companies accountable to move in the right direction.
0: Are there, are there specific performance metrics that you look at to gauge the effectiveness of ESG investments within the OP4 Plus framework?
1: Well... Again, uh, and I'm repeating myself, we start the process, you know, what are you really doing as an investor? Is it credible? Uh, and are you putting the resources uh, required to really be uh, uh, using ESG to benefit your decision process? Uh, you know, one of the areas we, you know, to show how serious you are is to be a signatory of the United Nations uh, Principles for Responsible Investment. We became a signatory in 2019, and I can easily say that it made us a better group, a better team, Uh, uh, a better approach to selecting your portfolio managers, because you're held accountable in your reporting of what you're doing, how you're doing it. And and then we really go, you know, in the process, how are you using ESG factors to create value and and manage risk? We want proof points to show us why you sold the security because of ESG factors, or why, uh, you know, you're concerned about a certain stock or a certain security, why you added a company because they're in the right transition area and they're going to, you know, uh, create a lot of value over time because they have this technology or this approach that is, uh, uh, you know, very avant-garde. All that, you know, we, we want to make sure it's real. They're really incorporating it, doing it the right way. Uh, how many people are actually dedicated to responsible investing? You know, if you're a, a group of uh, 50 investors and one person in ESG, well, I don't know, I think it's probably not very credible. Or are the 50 educating themselves, uh, making sure that they have the right knowledge to to implement this? Uh, along with ESG comes, you know, being a responsible investor. So are they voting uh, their proxies accordingly? Uh, are they engaging with companies to make sure that Uh, They're looking at the right risk factors, the right opportunities to continue uh, uh, delivering value. Uh, Are they looking at their portfolio footprints, uh, you know, on carbon, on water? Do they have real targets on diversity? Uh, All things that we think are important, not because they're the right thing, because they're actually going to deliver value or reduce risks. And then stewardship, you know... uh, how are they looking at the, their overall role as an investor? I think it's important. I, I think it also adds value over time and, and, and adds credibility. So all these things we're looking for, we're questioning, we're making sure that uh, they have it incorporated in their culture, their approach. And, and I think it just makes for a better portfolio management team, a better firm to actually do this uh, with credibility. It makes for a very busy day. Yeah. Well, we have really passionate people that really enjoy this uh, they really want to deliver for a client and, you know, they know that the process is what we control and they work on it day in, day out. Honestly, uh, the culture we have at NBI, best culture I've had in my career. People are really focused on delivering for our clients and uh, it makes go by very quickly and is very fun. So, you know, I. Also, having the right culture and what we're doing is important and, and holding ourselves accountable to our process as well. And, uh, we've been
0: fortunate enough to track really good talent. Well, I think if people are, are tap dancing into work, can't, you can't ask for, uh, for more than that. How does National Bank Investments open architecture framework ensure full accountability, especially when it comes to evaluating and selecting external sub advisors? Well. You know, we have our own key performance indicators as well.
1: You know, are we selecting portfolio managers that are actually delivering over one, three and five year time time periods? Are the OP 4 plus criteria being followed? And if not, why are we waiting to change them? So we're held accountable on a regular basis. And we actually calculate, you know, how many are actually beating. And here we're looking at active managers. So. And our KPI is actually comparing them to an ETF, an investable comparison uh, that is in the same passive asset class. So we would, uh, you know, compare a Canadian equity manager in F class to the ETF uh, uh, that replicates uh, the Canadian index uh, to make sure that, you know, you know we're, we put ourselves in the shoes of our investors Well, I'm selecting this uh you know, this uh, manager that is an active manager that's supposed to deliver value and has to deliver value above fees. Uh, if not, I should just buy the passive ETF. And so we're making sure we're holding ourselves accountable to that metric, uh, because, uh, we want to be doing this to add value to our customers, not just to sell mutual funds. And, uh, that metric, uh, if, you know, we, uh, we've done quite well on, uh, but it's, uh, as I said before is. We never get too, uh, excited when, you know, we're, we're uh, beating that metric by a lot. We don't get too concerned if we're a little behind on the metric. What we work on is the process and
0: over time it's delivered quite well for our clients. Some of the evaluation methods that are, that are considered important at the layperson's level. Like, you know, did the active fund beat the index is, is, is far too simplistic and and misunderstood um you know from what i gather like from what you're saying it's it's obviously very important to you to either have the uh, t- to either outperform if you can uh where you can with the same amount of risk as the index or less uh or to at least do as well as the index but with less risk and and you know again the risk adjusted return the risk adjusted return statement gets used a lot uh to describe the process but it's but it's, it's under, it's also under regarded. Can you, can you give an example of where, uh, OP4 plus has been instrumental in identifying a gap or an opportunity, uh, thanks to your focus on due diligence?
1: Usually you will find gaps in
0: process and
1: portfolio not being aligned or people, uh, you know, with departures or changes that are not having the right diversity, um, you know, we have identified in the past PMs where they started adding uh, It's a, it was a Canadian equity portfolio uh, that was supposed to be, you know, uh, very high quality companies, uh, you know, moats or, or various entry to their businesses and pristine balance sheets that would deliver, you know, good com- confounding over time. And at some point they started adding mid cap size energy companies with, that were very levered and, you know, we, we were Kishan. So we went to meet the portfolio manager, trying, why are you buying these? And what's your thesis and why does it fit your process? And, uh, that PM didn't have a lot of answers to give us that made us feel comfortable, uh, buying them because they were cheap. Uh, well, that's luck. It, it's not a process and it's not the process you told us you would be following. And we actually changed that PM. Uh, a short time later, because we had lost confidence that they could deliver on the process, they told us they were following. And you know, often PMs the ones that get into trouble. Uh, had a you know a period of underperformance. Yeah. If they start tinkering with their process, hoping to catch you know catch up performance, well, that leads to bad you know bad outcomes most of the time, and it becomes based on luck and not based on the process. Same thing with people, you know, uh, we're buying, we're investing with a team uh, that is, you know, portfolio manager, one or two good analysts behind that, those people uh, and, you know, very robust uh, approach and they're aligned to uh, the portfolio management process and the outcomes of the portfolio. And every time you get a departure, you have to question, is the team still able to deliver? You know, if you look at a sports analogy, you know, I have a hockey team and my star and player, the one who scores all the goals is injured. Well, can they still deliver? And, you know, that's a question that we need to ask ourselves. So every time someone departs, we do a new OP4 plus analysis and try to make sure, are you able to deliver? And if we're not comfortable that they can still deliver, we will change the part, of, you know, that can managers.
0: Well, it, it's critical, right? I mean, it's critical because if you... If you stop and consider that, you know, everybody, every single individual, uh, especially, I mean, particularly in this profession has career risk, uh, attached to them, that when, when, you know, they're, they become more worried about career risk than process. There's definitely a, a tendency to, you know, where, where you could see style drift happening or, or uh, you know, out of bounds decisions occurring in, in their portfolios in order, you know, to, to play maybe, you know, catch up against their career risk. And that's potentially dangerous. And if you don't, if you're not able to identify it in the ways that, that you and your team are able to, uh, through your process, um, then you're potentially putting yourself at, at great risk to somebody's personal biases or problems and, and, uh, or a firm's, personal, you know, affirms interpersonal biases and problems. Terry, what trends or challenges do you foresee in portfolio management and, and how is uh, your open architecture, the OP4 plus model positioned to address these?
1: Well, let's start with one thing, what is not going to change and what's not going to change is, you know, having a well-defined discipline process and having passionate people to execute the process and, and you know. What we're looking for in a portfolio management team is what we're looking for in uh, benchmarking ourselves, we uh, do in the open architecture and OP4 Plus process. So that's not going to change. But what is evolving very quickly is the tools and the data that we have to analyze portfolios and portfolio construction. Um, right. So, you know, data transparency is improving and uh, we're getting more data on ESG, but still uh, you know, need more to, and more consistency and standards in that area. And, uh, we, you know, we're, we're seeing improvements And the ISSB, uh, coming to Montreal will help corporations have a, a standard based approach to looking at, uh, sustainability metrics. I think artificial intelligence uh, and the advent of, uh, generative AI, like ChadGBT and others will provide better tools. Uh, help us better analyze information and do it faster than ever before. Um, You know, uh, I didn't coin this phrase, but, you know, uh, someone, uh, Brian uh, said that, you know, uh, AI is not going to steal your job. Someone using AI could steal your job. And I think, you know, AI and ChatGBT will be good tools uh, to help us automate certain functions that are less critical and really allow people to focus on the critical part of their process, the analysis, uh, you know, making sure that they have the right data and the right format. And I think that, you know, those improvements, those, uh, that progress has been part of my entire career. Uh, You know, when I started, I was, I was receiving faxes, Uh, you know, now email came in and the internet came in, and uh, it just allowed you to do everything better, faster. But you still had to follow the same process. Still had to make, you know, the right decisions based on the right information. And, and I think, uh, you know, the young people we have today, you know, they they can program, uh, they can, you know, add the tools more quickly to the process they're doing. And, and I think that you know will allow new people in the industry to probably exceed what we do. But what I you know what they need to learn is to make sure that they have a very well disciplined process, and that's what we're teaching the people uh, here at NBI. Uh, we're making sure that you know when I leave uh, NBI and investment business, well, those processes are going to stay there in place uh, because they'll be part of the culture, they'll be part of the approach, uh, and they'll have proven over time
0: to bring value to our customers. Terry, could you share any planned enhancements to the framework that could offer even uh, greater governance and risk management in the future? Well, you know, part of the OP4
1: process is qualitative. You know, what are we looking for and asking the right questions, Uh, but we're all always trying to improve the quantitative side to really give us better information, proof points that every part of the OP4 plus process uh, is being followed uh, and so the, you know the process itself will not change and I think I've repeated this many times uh, you have to have a disciplined process but how are we uh, go about uh, finding the right information uh, and, and making sure we have the right metrics uh, you know we're trying to improve on that all the time uh, you know one, one area we've worked on we continue to work on is making sure that we have the right factor analysis you know if a PM is more value base and are we looking at the PM in the right lens with the right data with the right comparison to make sure that they're delivering what they told us they were you know with independent metrics to prove it we also want to you know improve risk management make sure that we can have red flags pop up more quickly make sure that we can react more more quickly and so really making sure we have the right risk metrics without being inundated in too many of them so we can really pinpoint the the right areas uh, is important. You know, we want to retain that flexibility. Uh, You don't want a bureaucratic process. You want just the right amount of metrics to follow everything. uh, But that allows you to be uh, uh, disciplined and react in in the right time frame. It's finding that right balance that is important. uh, And we'll always look to uh, improves uh, the quality of the the output of our analysis to make sure we always find the best uh, pNs for every single asset class
0: Terry that's been an amazing conversation i I, I want to thank you so much for your incredibly valuable time and insight um, the op four plus framework is uh, is actually you know discussing it has really provided a fascinating look at your process and um, so Terry, thank you so much for your incredibly valuable time and insight. Pierre, thank you very much. It was a pleasure
1: to chat with you and, uh, look forward to uh, chatting with you again in the
0: future. Yes. Likewise. Thank you so much.